Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hey, everybody. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. With over 122 million parts and eBay guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Or your money back. Plus, with prices that don't break the bank, you can stay on your A-game. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of the SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we've got a lot of news to dive into. You've got Top Rank returning to live boxing out in Las Vegas. Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua reaching the financial structure for a two-fight deal that could begin in the summer of 2021. And Regis Progray, Maurice Hooker, has that fight totally fallen apart? I bring in Lance Pugmire, the senior boxing writer over at The Athletic, to talk about that and much more. A little bit later on, Freddie Roach, the Hall of Fame trainer, he joins me to talk about how he's spending his time in quarantine, the future of Manny Pacquiao. Freddie has some thoughts about that. And we get into a couple of Mike Tyson stories from one of Tyson's old trainers. So stick around for that. Great conversation, as always, with Freddie Roach. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it, head over to Apple Podcasts, Post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Lance Pugmire. All right, joining me now on the podcast, he is the senior boxing writer over at The Athletic and one heck of a good guy. Lance Pugmire joining me on the show. What's up, Lance? How you doing? Good to see you, Chris. Good, man. I mean, we're, we're at a point now where boxing has has come back like this is exciting you got boxing coming back at boxing news out there this is like it's like finally we've got something to talk about no doubt about it i think i can't remember which fight it was i think it was uh this guy cash who was just you know swinging swinging and throwing punches the other night and it was just like you know i know this really means nothing but it was uh so nice to have the sport back mm-hmm. and to be able to write and write about something again you know and i'm sure the fans feel the same way yeah, no doubt about it. Um, all right, before we get to that top rank show, I want to talk about the biggest news of the week and and get your take on how big news it is. Uh, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, uh, Eddie Hearn told me this week that there was a financial structure in place to have Joshua fight Fury at some point in the summertime. We saw Fury go on social media afterwards and confirm that there was you know some kind of deal in place uh, for that fight to take place. Now, uh, of course. There are obstacles here. Like you've still got Deontay Wilder, who was incredibly dangerous, you know, in the fall for Tyson Fury. Uh, Joshua's got to get through at least Kubrat Pula, but maybe even uh, Alexander Usyk if he decides to go that direction as well. But when you heard, you know, this this news or whatever you want to call it, like how significant is it that these two sides have agreed to a financial deal? It's very significant from the standpoint of look. I mean, this has been uh, long in in the waiting for these two guys. 
from England to get together, especially with the possibility of all four belts being on the line. But like you said, I mean, as soon as you think about that and you think about what a mega event this is going to be for the sport, you say, whoa, there's some serious obstacles before these guys can even get to that point. And we know like Deontay Wilder, as he was trailing, you know, basically six rounds to zero against Luis Ortiz before knocking him out in that fight. Tyson Fury still has, still has to deal with Deontay Wilder, and that's, you know, not a little task. I mean, if you go back to the first fight, it was it was very, very difficult on Tyson. And, you know, I know he fared a lot better in the second fight, but Deontay Wilder is going to know that his career is on the line in, the, in this third fight. And clearly, he wants to be part of that fight against Anthony Joshua. So, um, you know, look, it's very exciting, and it's something to look uh, forward to. It definitely gives the sport a spark at this point where, you know, it is just coming back, but boy, um, the, 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 the speed bump that is Deontay Wilder is, uh, could be, you know, quite a significant thing moving forward. Yeah. Look, I'm impressed with Tyson Fury with all this. Like if Tyson Fury went out in November, December and knocked out Deontay Wilder again, he would probably have even more leverage. Like he might even be able to squeeze a few more dollars out of Anthony Joshua, but like Tyson's been the kind of guy for at least the last couple of years who, who just wants to get these big fights done. Like doesn't seem to be at all interested in these lesser fights. And you've been ringside for them, Lance. Like he doesn't perform particularly well in these lesser fights. Like whether it was against Tom Schwartz or Otto Valen, like he just doesn't get up for those fights as much as he gets up for Deontay Wilder and presumably Anthony Joshua. So I'm really impressed with, with Fury's willingness to do that. All that being said, 100% I agree with you. Like, Deontay Wilder is being, like, discarded in the same way Kubrat Pulev is being discarded. Like, Pulev, all due respect to Bob Arum, kind of should be discarded. Like, I don't give Pulev much of a chance. He's not Andy Ruiz. He doesn't have that hand speed. And the last time I saw Kubrat Pulev in with a real opponent or a top-level opponent, he was getting just steamrolled by Vladimir Klitschko in his last and only title shot. So I'm not... I'm not bracing for Kubra Pulov to upset the apple cart here, but Deontay yeah. Wilder can. Like, he has knocked down Tyson Fury twice. And how many times have we seen it where a guy is looking past an opponent and gets caught with something big? I mean, I, I do have questions, probably like you do, about Wilder's mental makeup after that knockout defeat. Physically, is he the same fighter after another surgery that he had after that fight? His training team, how is that going to shake out? But... Man, the dude still has a monster right hand. He's going to be more motivated than ever in what could maybe be his last fight. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think that if Wilder loses to Fury, I'm not exactly sure where he goes. Like, does he try to exactly. rebuild at 35, 36 years old? I mean, this is every this is all chips on the table for Deontay Wilder, and and he should not be discounted because of that. Yeah, the best news is that these two sides got together and did, you know, engage and, and get the structure of the deal done, as you said. So I think that is very encouraging. I mean, that they're going to be working on now, um, you know, trying to find the best site that will bring in the maximum dollars for this event. And I know that there's some, you know, work to do on the TV ends of, uh, of this still. But look, the fact that there's this partnership in place is very encouraging. And it does. I mean, look, if we know it's boxing. We love the drama of boxing and how much drama is going to be attached to a Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder fight now with all of this in play and looming. How, I mean, look, the, the site still needs to be determined, but how bad a look would it be if it didn't wind up in Great Britain? I mean, this is the biggest fight in British boxing history. I, I don't think they'd be a close second. Like this is, this is it. Two, you know, top level heavyweights for, maybe the undisputed heavyweight championship. Um, I mean, how look, I know Saudi Arabia and the Middle East is out there with these mega dollars, but I mean, how bad a look would it be if this fight gets taken somewhere else? I think it's a real bad look uh, uh, for exactly what you're saying. I mean, both of these guys are, are from Great Britain. This fight needs to be there. There's certainly going to be significant dollars on the table for uh, Eddie Hearn and, and the Fury side to cash in on. And, you know, look, to me... Uh, the sport needs an event like that. We need another 90,000 people in Wembley or wherever, whatever uh, soccer stadium you want to take it to. It's just so important, the optics of it. And to have these two guys in the country the whole time, you know, selling this fight and just making it, so it is going to be a worldwide event, you know, regardless of where it's at. But to have it in England is just perfect. You can just attach so many uh, great storylines to it. 
they've got to do it. And there's really no excuse. I can understand, you know, the second part, maybe taking that one to Saudi Arabia, but it definitely has to start in Great Britain. Yeah. And I mean, I was in Saudi Arabia for Ruiz and Joshua and, and look, it was raining. So that contributed, but th- there really wasn't much of an atmosphere there. I mean, you, I mean, quite frankly, you need 90,000 drunk Brits at, at an event like this. Please, like, you need it. Please. You need them all. Yes, like, you yes. know, you don't need like, you know, 10,000, you know, Brits that are like sneaking in nips underneath their, like their coats and, and sliding in exactly. there. I mean, you need just a mega atmosphere uh, for something like that. So I hope they do the right thing. And I hope they keep that thing, that fight in Great Britain, if it comes to pass. Um, the other part of this, Lance, is will it be for the undisputed championship? And if not, does it matter? Now, we, we know that the WBC has been shoving Dillian White like down the road like every six months like hey you can get your title shot in 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 December now it's February but right now he's scheduled to get that title shot by February of 2021 Uh, at the same time you've got Alexander Usyk who moved up uh in weight class and per WBO rules he is should get his title shot at some point in the next six to eight months and his team has said you know we're not stepping aside for something like this so What's the best way to handle a situation like this? Do you fulfill your mandatories before a fight like this and maybe push it back down the road? Or do you say, look, if we have to give up one or two pieces of the title, it's it's worth it to make this fight happen? Yeah, I mean, I think that it starts with the idea of even if someone is saying that they're not going to take the step aside, you need to see what that step aside uh, fee could be and try to pay it. You know, um, after that, you know, especially if, if part one of this uh, uh, Fury Joshua fight is going to take place in the summer, then there is a timetable that would allow for the second fight to happen to satisfy all those mandatories with uh, Usyk for Joshua and White for for the you know Fury. But again, I mean, these are these are two more fights that you're adding in there, you know, before before the biggest fight that everyone wants to get to. So look, if it becomes like this. Um, unbelievably, you know, complicated thing that you can't get past and they're going to be stripped. Still, the world wants to see and the world still knows that these are the two best heavyweights in the world. And so, look, lay down the belts. You know, sanctioning bodies, you think your belts are, uh, are the most important thing in the sport. You're going to find out that they're not if you really uh, dig in your heels on this subject because the world wants to see Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua, uh, you know, if, if Fury defeats Wilder. And there should be nothing stopping that. Again, think of the best interests of the sport. It's easy for me to sit here and say this, Lance, but how great would it be to have White versus Usyk as the co-main on a fight like that? I mean, if you can... Perfect. Like, if, if you can scrap together enough money, that'd be big money to put that fight on as the co-main with the winner, you know, guaranteed a title shot after the second fight between Joshua and Fury... That's just perfect. I mean, if you're if you're Usyk too, like God knows when the Chisora fight's going to be rescheduled. Like they have both kind of said that it's got to take place in front of fans. So you're talking probably the fall at the earliest that something like that could happen. So it's really only you're not really missing. It's not really staying off all that long. And to get a big fight like a Dillian White on a card like that, making the type of money, it's not for the heavyweight championship. But it's a pretty good consolation prize, and it keeps you in the running for a uber fight against the winner of that, whoever comes out of that, that back and forth somewhere down the line. And, and then everyone in the world knows who you are, too. I mean, look, these guys have some brand recognition, uh, to, you know, bridges the cross here. So, look, Chris, if me and you ran boxing, you know, the common sense and the logic of it all would, it, this would all happen. But I guarantee what you're going to hear is, is things like, oh, there's just not enough money in the broadcast to pay for all that. That can't happen, dot, dot, dot. You can already hear it coming. So, you know, look, it, it does make all the sense in the world and it would be perfect. It just, you know, to keep the, the momentum that is, that is there with making a fight like this. But there, it won't happen. I, I guarantee it won't happen. There's going to be drama. Someone pro- is probably going to get stripped. Maybe, maybe both guys. And, and we'll move on and have the chaos that reigns supreme in the sport. Yeah, that'd be unfortunate. I mean, think about yeah. like what ticket prices could be if you even if you add White and Usyk to the card. Like you could charge three figures for nosebleeds. Like you can charge a hundred plus. And I've been at those Wembley Stadium fights. Like, I mean, you it's some of them are way up there. You're just watching a screen at some point. So yeah, you could charge you know hundred plus dollars for nosebleed seats and have people clamoring for them, just dying to get them. That's that's what we need, man. That's what boxing needs. That type of atmosphere. 
I totally agree with you. And, you know, look, let's hope it happens. Let's be very optimistic about it, but uh, let's, let's watch how it plays out. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's move on to boxing that's happening right now. You've got Top Rank returning this week uh, with live shows in Las Vegas. Their first show was on Tuesday. Um, I liked the aesthetics of it, Lance. I thought it looked good on TV. They did a really good job with the signage and the cage in the back. Um, so I thought that part of it was great. But predictably, the fights were not. You had Shakur Stevenson dominating Felix Caballero, knocking him out in the sixth round in a very anticlimactic fight. Pretty much all the other fights before that were anticlimactic and not really all that eventful. And the ratings reflected, you know, just how kind of ho-hum the card was. I mean, really low numbers, right around, what, 400,000 viewers, something like that, right. uh, for uh, for that fight. So give me your overall impressions of, of what you saw and and what you think of how Top Rank came back. You know, look, I mean, I think that they, they at least they came back. They were the first to come back. I think the organization of Top Rank, not to like, you know, not that I'm aligned with top rank. Here comes the, you know, the accusation. <laughs> but I think the organization of uh, top rank really, you know, came, came shining through here. They got, these, they got these fights in place. They found a venue that can host them. They did the testing that, you know, um, generated a positive from Michaela Mayer. I know we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, I, everything was done the right way. And I agree with you. I mean, it, I think it looked, it looked very nice. I, I was actually very impressed with the whole uh, production and the whole broadcast of it. I mean, the way that they had uh, Tim Bradley and Andre Ward talk about their, you know, their own uh, racial battles at a time of, of such unrest right now in this country. And then the, to see the, a, a great talent like Shakur Stevenson really show how special he is, you know, was, was sensational. I agree with you. Look, when I first saw this top-ranked schedule for all these fights that are going to go into August, it was like this is A versus B city, and all we're you know it's obvious who's going to win all these fights. You would have hoped that they could have done better, and clearly, um, uh, you know, hopefully they are building up to these these bigger fights that will be coming. You can build an interest in a in a fight like Shakur Stevenson versus Miguel Burchelt by allowing both of these guys to fight. You're going to show what a great talent again that Emmanuel Neveretti is. Uh, the super bantamweight champion. And then top rank will be able to offer, uh, uh, Todd DeBuff told, told me sooner rather than later, maybe as early as October, we'll be able to see Tiafimo Lopez and Vasily Lomachenko. So um, they're getting there, they're setting the stage. But to me, it just feels like one big advertisement for the bigger fights to come when there was, a, uh, to me, a better opportunity to you know have real action and maybe have these fights that will generate uh, strong ratings. I actually thought that the ratings were going to be a lot stronger than that, but I think the fans know what they're getting. And when they see these matchups, they're saying, well, you know what? I've been, uh, uh, I've been getting out and about now uh, a little bit, and I'm going to uh, just go back to doing that instead of sitting down and watching this fight. And that is unfortunate for the sport. Yeah. I mean, because there were so many mismatches, there was so much fill time there. And it, you know, look, I, I agree with you that what Andre Ward and Tim Bradley said about some of the you know, racial inequality they've experienced in their lives was powerful, powerful stuff. But when you get past that, that, it's just like just talking and talking and talking. It becomes like a, a talk show and you're not getting what people are tuning in for, which is the actual boxing. And that's something that has to be corrected. I'm willing to give Top Rank a little bit of rope here because yeah. we do know as their schedule you know progresses, you've got some better fights on the calendar. I mean, you go into uh, to July and you're talking about Aledir Alvarez versus Joe Smith. That's a really good fight that Love I'm looking it. for. I mean, eventually Jose Ramirez is going to find his way into a ring with Victor Postal. Like at some point, that fight is ultimately going to happen. What I would correct immediately, though, Lance, is you can't do four o'clock start times. Like I know everybody's home because of this pandemic, but as you know, like boxing more and more has migrated west. Like the, the fan, uh, the fan bases are are much more you know, kind of centrally located on the West Coast than they are on the East Coast anymore. And if you're starting something at 4 o'clock Pacific and the main card is like 6 o'clock Pacific, you're just not going to draw eyeballs. Like people, even though they're home, a lot of them are still working and they're working from home and they're not tuning into That's boxing true. around dinner, dinner time. So if you're Todd DeBuff and you're ESPN, like you've got to try to move this stuff, you know, deeper into the night, get stuff started at 10, 11 o'clock Eastern. So you get that 8 o'clock time window. I think that's an easy way to boost these ratings. I think these guys are all smart enough to be able to uh, adjust accordingly to the numbers that they've seen. So I would expect that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that'll happen. Um, one other part of all this was 
is was and is the testing procedures that top rank did. One of the reasons that card was was weaker than it could have been was because Michaela Mayer, 2016 U.S. Olympian, uh, very exciting women's boxing prospect. Uh, she failed her COVID-19 test. That's a positive for COVID-19. So Michaela clearly believes that she was never positive for COVID-19 and that the testing uh, was flawed and she never should have been excluded uh, from that event. That also had a trickle-down effect too because Kay Karoma, her trainer, her assistant trainer, uh, he is also Shakur Stevenson's trainer. So he was not allowed to be in Shakur's corner. That cost him something on that end. So what do you think of the way top rank in... And look, it's really Nevada that's doing this. It's, it's the Nevada procedures. But what do you think of the way these procedures have gone down? Should they tweak it in any way as they move forward? Absolutely. But I think that they're all kind of learning on the fly too. I don't think it was anything, you know, held against uh, Michaela Mayer to keep her out of the ring clearly. But I think that, you know, you know, you see a positive and you want to say, let's get this person away uh, from everyone else. I mean, it only makes sense. All, all the safeguards and precautions are going to be in place. And for Michaela, she has the opportunity with so many top ranked shows still to come. She can jump in there, hopefully sooner rather than later, as long as, you know, all of the uh, medical officials have, you know, scrutinized the situation and then can weigh in and say like, you know, okay, now you're officially clear. It's unfortunate, but I think for, if you're an athlete participating in this type of environment, you al almost have to concede that it's part of the game as well. Yeah, I, I would say, look, once there's a positive test, you've got to be excluded. Even if you have a subsequent test and you test negative, then you're basically diagnosis shopping. You're you're saying like, well, all right, you know, like, this one's negative, so I'm going to believe that one and and go ahead right. with it. Uh, what I would say is that until those other tests, like the the mouth swab or even the lower nasal swab or all these other tests, until these other tests are proven to be 100% accurate, you really have to do those horribly intrusive nasal swabs that everybody you know hates. Uh, to every fighter all the time. Like, that's just... Have you already done it? it? I have not done it. I am... No, me neither. I, me neither. I've got the antibody test yet. That's next on my list. I'm going to kind of cross okay. my fingers and hope that when I bro-hugged Donovan Mitchell back in, like, March, <laughs> I, I picked it up back then and didn't know it. So, but either way, like, it's not a perfect system, but you have to make sure you do the most conclusive test you possibly can. And once that test comes out, if it's ne if it's positive, you're done. That's it. I don't care if you're Michaela Mayer. I don't care if you're Tyson Fury. Like, you have to be done. This is just the only way, I think, Lance, that boxing is going to work. No, I agree. I mean, it's, uh, you've got, you have to respect, uh, you know, what the findings are. I mean, the worst thing that could happen is for it to spread, you know, and how guilty would you feel? I mean, when you talk about uh, Donovan, so, you know. I think they handled it right. I, I honestly do. Now it's just a matter of how quickly she can get back in there. Yeah, yeah, which will probably happen sometime mid-July. Fortunately, the benefit of you know having so many shows, you can just put her on another one down the line. So it sucks that she had to have uh, this one scrapped, but fortunately, she only have to wait maybe a month, month and a half before she can get back uh, in the ring. All right, let's talk about uh, Ryan Garcia for a minute here. And you know, Ryan Garcia is one of the brighter, if not the brightest young star in all of boxing. He's coming off back-to-back first-round knockout wins. He's incredibly popular. We all know about his social media following, more than 6 million followers on Instagram, uh, almost 400,000 followers on Twitter. He is a, a huge star in the making if he continues to this ascent up boxing. Ryan was pretty upset uh, this past week uh, about kind of his compensation for some of these fights that he's being offered. I, I spoke to Ryan on Monday night and he basically pointed the finger at DAZN and said like, DAZN, you've got to give me more money. I want to have a direct line of communication with DAZN to talk about my money. Now, you know how boxing contracts work, Lance. I mean, networks don't negotiate directly with fighters. They negotiate with promoters or even fighter managers in the case of Al Heyman and make the deal that way. And they turn around and make the offer to the fighter per the contract that they had. But, you know, Ryan's pretty ticked off nowadays. What did you make of, of Ryan's reactions these past week? It's unfortunate. I mean, Ryan has also kind of boxed himself into a corner by talking about all these different guys that he wants to fight, including Abner Morris, which to me was like the ideal fight, Chris, for uh, him to take at this point. I mean, you've got a, a three-division world champion who's chomping at the bit to fight you who is coming off an extended layoff, had a, a significant eye injury that he was dealing with. And to me, it was for Ryan a, an opportunity to step in there with a name opponent and, and you know, again, kind of like 
show the credibility that I think we, we have seen in the ring. I mean, these two first round knockouts have been very sensational. This kid is developing and he has, it's, it's all there before him. But again, it's, it's a reflection of the times, you know, the zone apparently is not ready to jump back into uh, broadcasting fights right now. Apparently this July 4th uh, fight that they were talking about doing either at fantasy Springs uh, casino in Indio, California, or in Las Vegas was going to be, um, you know, aired by Facebook watch. And certainly, you know, some dollars are, are going to be restricted at that point. So when you look at those contracts and we don't know exactly the way Ryan's contract reads, but he, sh- he should know what it, how, how it reads. If there's flexibility and the opportunity for Golden Boy to, you know, give him a quote unquote haircut and, and, and scale back the dollars that are coming his way based on the climate of where we are right now in COVID-19, that's just part of the sport right now. And, you know, to, to blame the zone, like you said, is misguided. And to, you know, get all hostile and and upset. Look, the most important thing for Ryan Garcia, in my opinion, is to stay in the ring because so many people do want to see you fight. So many people are interested in you. So go ahead and make an appearance just like Shakur made to allow people to say like, oh, this guy's, you know, doing great. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see him fight again. He's missed that opportunity now. Yeah. And, you know, I think Ryan is looking around at, the fighters he considers peers right now, whether it's Gervonta Davis and Devin Haney and seeing how much they're me- uh, making and being frustrated because one thing Ryan can do very easily is he can go on YouTube and look at the views that his fights are getting, his knockouts are getting, uh, even his interviews are getting uh-huh. and say, I'm putting up big numbers here. Why is my compensation below what some of these other guys are getting uh, to Ryan's credit? Like, I think he's willing to fast track his career maybe faster than Golden Boy is. Like, I, you know, he's talking about, you know, you want to pay me more. If you want me to fight someone bigger to make more money, I'll do it. Like, you want to put me in with Devin Haney right now, I'll take it. If you can make a deal for Javante Davis, I'll take it. Like, he, in our conversation, he made it clear he's not asking for free money. He's not, and he doesn't, like, one thing he said was, like, I don't want to follow the Floyd Mayweather model. I don't want to protect my perfect record at all costs. I want to put it on the line every single time. And I I really respect that, Lance, because as great as Floyd Mayweather was, how he chose opponents, I thought was ultimately detrimental for boxing in the big picture. It just, he didn't Mm -hmm. go out there and take on the biggest challenges at the times they were most available. So I like the attitude of Ryan Garcia. So if I'm Golden Boy and if I'm DAZN, I'm encouraging that. I'm like, you know what? Devin Haney doesn't have an opponent. Let's make the Devin Haney fight in 2020. You've got Gervonta Davis out there, going to fight Leo Santa Cruz. Let's find a way to make a deal for Gervonta Davis sometime early 2021. Let's get this train rolling. If he's willing to fight these guys, let's start to make it happen. Let's not, let's not coddle him if he doesn't want to be coddled. Right. But I think, I think the situation at play is that, you know, Oscar De La Hoya and his matchmakers are looking at Ryan Garcia. And while they love, you know, his popularity, they're looking at his skills in the ring and, and matching them in their mind against someone like Devin Haney and Gervonta Davis and saying, we're not going to do that to him right now. Because look, we can say all these things about how popular and how, uh, you know, what his upside is right now. But if he does get destroyed in one of those fights, look, what does that do to him, Chris? And I think that Golden Boy, especially when you look at its stable being so, uh, you know, heavily uh, emphasizing Canelo Alvarez, they need Ryan Garcia and they need the, 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 the career path of Ryan Garcia to be very long and very smooth. And so I don't think that they are willing to um, put him at, at the risk of those fights that yes, he clearly wants to engage in, but for golden boy from their for the, for the sake of their business m- model, it's not exactly the best move to be making. And I think it's a very, very fascinating dynamic because you have, you know, one of these all time greats in De La Hoya, you know, considering the future of this, this kid who is just so popular and he is, he is, you know, he's got the reins on him and you can, you can see it as, as clear as day. So um, how it, how it plays out is to me, it's one of the most fascinating stories of the sport because clearly Ryan is a little frustrated. I'm sure Oscar's a little frustrated and uh, where it goes from here is, uh, you know, TBA and it's going to be uh, worth watching. It's going to give us a lot of great stories, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and I completely get that side of the argument. I mean, matchmaking is incredibly important for the development of young fighters. If you put in a guy in too fast, too soon, 
he might get knocked out and it might change the course of his entire career. So you've got to be careful. And that's why, like, I mean, this pandemic sucked for everybody, but for Ryan Garcia, like, he was on the right path. Like, a Linares fight next was the right fight. A guy that yes, was... absolutely. You know, the guy like Linares, back end of his, his prime, uh, very susceptible to knockouts, but was coming off a pretty big knockout win of his own. He's a name. That would have done a really good crowd at the Staples Center or somewhere uh, out in Los Angeles. And then, if you beat Linares, maybe it's a Luke Campbell, kind of one of those fringy, you know, title holders. If Campbell beat Javier Fortuna, he would have had an interim title or whatever you want to call that WBC belt. That would have been another nice step up. And then when you get into 2021, coming off those fights, I think then you're in business, Lance. I think then if you prove you can beat a Linares and you can beat a Luke Campbell, you should be willing to go in there with Gervonta Davis and even Devin Haney at that point. I agree. And to ask me, like uh, Bob Arum sometimes says, you know, like I'm not a matchmaker. I'm not a matchmaker, but there is just something. And I, as I watch all of these guys, it feels like Haney and Davis are more of the complete package than Ryan Garcia. I know Ryan Garcia has shown significant power, but I just feel over the course of, you know, 10 to 12 rounds, these other guys would, would be picking him apart and really kind of showing the body of work, their, their, their entire toolbox. And, and I think that's what lingers in the mind of Oscar and Eric Gomez and Robert Diaz and all those guys over there who are saying, this guy is so important to the future of our business. We can't, we can't mess this up. Yeah. Look, I, I agree with you on Haney. I'm not so sure about Davis. Like Davis to me, like he's a two division title holder, but like his biggest win was Jose Pedraza. And it's like, he's been another guy that's been kind of matched really well uh, on his way up. And at 135, especially, like he hasn't shown me anything at 135. Like 130, he's been powerful. Uh, 135, I don't know. Can he hold up to yes. the power of some of those guys? Like Haney is is a very good boxer, a very skilled guy, all complete package. Teofimo Lopez, a cut above them both at this point because exactly. he's got yeah. the most significant wins. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, if Ryan can get, I like to see Ryan in with one of those Linares types, Campbell types. Exactly you know, this summer, and then maybe you go on to one more fight uh, sometime in the fall, and then, you know, get it going. I mean, we have to remember, he's 21 years old. Like, 21. The guy's got and, a and they career. And look, and Golden Boy, honestly, I think they had it nailed. They were going to put Ryan Garcia against Jorge Linares at Staples Center, uh, you know, around July 4th, and that would that's the perfect fight. But Jorge's stuck in Japan. He can't get over here right now, and so you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. But you know, if he, if Ryan can just be a little bit more patient, I think those big dollars are coming, man. Like his popularity, like no doubt. he is. Like one thing he said to me was like, "I want to be the guy that breaks down barriers, specifically, you know, promotional barriers." Like when you're Ryan Garcia and you're drawing ten thousand to Anaheim on a Friday and you're doing big numbers on DAZN and you're you know having six million Instagram followers, you know actively following your career like you become the money man i don't care how talented other guys are like you are the guy they want to fight because dollar bills follow you so if you can be a little patient uh i think ryan garcia it'll all it'll all work out for him all right let's talk about a fight that unfortunately looks less likely to happen than maybe it did a week or two ago uh regis progray and maurice hooker they were scheduled to fight uh in april of this year before the pandemic hit that's a fight that's been talked about, Lance, over the last couple of weeks about being rescheduled. Uh, just this week, I mean, I had been hearing, Lance, for the last few weeks that there was no way Maurice Hooker was going to fight at 143 pounds. That was the contracted weight for that fight to happen. So I called Brian McIntyre, uh, his new trainer, and I asked Bo Mack. I said, you know, do you guys still want this fight? Bo Mack said, absolutely. We still want this fight. Will you do it at 143? Absolutely not. We will not do it at 143. You know, Hooker is done fighting at 143 pounds. He wants to fight. Uh, he needs to fight just at 147. You turn around and you call, you know, you know how this chain goes. You call Lou DiBella. You call, you know, Progray's manager and you talk to Progray and they won't fight a pound above 143 pounds. So it seems like uh, that fight, which is one of the tentpole fights of the first quarter of the year, it seems like that fight is off the table. What do you make of of how this all went down with uh, Brian McIntyre effectively saying, if it's a, if it's below 147, we're not going to do it. It's a damn shame, obviously. I mean, for like, you know, we were just talking about with the Dillian White against Usyk fight. I mean, this was a great fight, non-title fight that really was going to liven up, you know, whatever division, 140 and 40, 47, uh, when you consider Hooker's uh, desire to move up there. But look, as I looked at this fight, I liked Regis in the fight. And I think that Herker probably took a, a pretty strong look at, at the way things were 
And if he's got a bone mac in his ear saying 147 is your best weight, you know, and that's your best path forward, he doesn't want to lose uh, two times in a row. So I think that he's going to, you know, he's making a, a, a smart de uh, business decision for his future rather than, you know, engaging in this fight that, yes, we'll have a lot of eyeballs on it and have a lot of, of tension around it. But honestly, I view him as the underdog in that fight. And I think he was going to get a little bit exposed by Regis Progre, who, you know, had that tough loss to Josh Taylor, but clearly, you know, wants to stand as a special champion and, and views this fight so importantly. So Hooker, it's an opportunity to, again, keep working with Bomac, um, go to a weight that he's better suited at, He's going to, you know, be involved in a couple fights that aren't going to be as uh, significant for a while. But at the end of the day, I'm sure he believes that this is, this is the best thing for him. And as we know, boxing is an individual sport. So unfortunately, you know, the timing again of COVID-19 has complicated the sport and, you know, it's uh, taking it on the chin. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And I think the biggest mistake Hooker made was agreeing to the fight in the first place. Like I... I've been covering yeah. Mo Hooker fights for the better part of the last year plus. Like him cutting weight has been painful to watch. Like I, I was at the fight where he fought uh, uh, Michael Lespierre, and yeah. making 140 at the weigh-in, he needed somebody to physically pick him up and effectively help him to the stage to step on the scale. Now he was a little bit better, you know, against Jose Ramirez. Certainly had a bigger fight, took it seriously. But after that fight, you know, he said, "Look, I might have to think about going to 147, cutting down to 140." you know, is really tough. I mean, the guy's like 5'10", 5'11". He's a massive 140-pounder. Yeah, exactly. I never, honestly, the April fight, Lance, I never thought he was going to make 143. I thought he would have gone, like, come in like 145, 146 and had to pay something out of his purse to make that fight ultimately happen. I think the biggest mistake was saying, I'm, I, can, I can contractually sign on for this fight. But, I mean, he just... I, the one real thing I would say, like, if, if you're going to go move up... Don't expect to make this kind of money anytime soon. Like, he was no. going to make close to seven figures to fight Regis Progray. Like, you move up to 147, and I don't even know if Eddie Hearn keeps him. Like, I don't know what Eddie Hearn can do with him at 147 pounds. Maybe you go over to top rank. What do you do? Like, you're not going to fight Terrence Crawford. Like, he's now a stable mate of yours. So, are you going to fight Kavaloskis, like, in a fight like that? You could lose. Are you going to fight, yeah. you know, one of the PBC guys? You could lose. Like, you know, uh, the, the one thing I'd be thinking about if I'm... And look, the, I, I think this fight potentially could be resuscitated with the right number of phone calls. But if I'm Hooker, I got to be thinking, yeah, I might lose to Progray, but I'm walking out of there with more money than I have, you know, really since Ramirez. So, I, I mean, I've, I've got to have that in my mind too. Like, if I can just make the weight, I get a big payday. And even if I lose, I can say, you know what? It was the weight. I'm going up to 147. I'm going to fight these low-level fights. That's a great point. And, and try to get my, my, my career back on track there. That's probably the best way it can get rehabilitated, Chris, because, you know, I think probably in Maurice's mind, he was looking at this fight and saying, like, look, I'm making all these strides under Bomac. I really feel good about where I'm headed, but I got to deal with this damn weight and I'm going to end up diminishing myself to the point of my training's not even going to matter. So, again, I think he's, look I I think he's looking at the long-term uh, parts of this, but you're right. I mean, the money that's on the table is, is very difficult to walk away from. And if there is a chance to repair this thing and say like, okay, you know, uh, as I've reflected on this thing and taken a couple of days, let's go ahead and do it. It's not like he has no shot either against Progray. I'd favor Progray too, but Hooker can punch. Like that That hook is is real. And if he catches Progray right, it, it's lights out. So um, I, I think it's definitely a winnable fight. I feel for Progray too, because I'm not exactly sure where he goes, you know, from here. I mean, he was hoping this was going to be you know, the kind of fight that erases the Josh Taylor lost and catapults him back up into the upper echelon of the 140-pound division. But you, know, you got Ramirez, you know, occupied by Postal at this point. Then he's going to move on to Taylor. Taylor, uh, he's got a fight of his own that he's going to take and then, you know, hopefully try to unify. And, you know, Progress says he wants to stay at 140. I don't know what's there. I mean, I asked Mikey Garcia this week. I'm like, would you be interested in Regis Progress? He's like, yeah, if X, Y, Z... You know, all that he listed four other fighters that he wanted to fight instead of Prograde that were there. Yeah. So, like, I don't know, Lance. I don't know what the landscape looks like with Prograde at this point. Well, I think he's just gonna again. He's gonna have to take a fight that is, you know, not gonna pay him anywhere near what he was going to get here. And then he turns free agent. And then, you know, just let the bidding uh, take place and see what you know. Get the best deal that you can, and find your find your way into that you know series of fights against you know Taylor Ramirez, all those guys. 
And, you know, I, I think he has no, he has no other option, but to do that. Um, it makes all the sense in the world to me for him to move over to top rank. Uh, but that has yet to happen. Uh, but I would expect that to be the, the obvious move for Regis. Yeah, certainly a lot of fights available to him over there. And when he eventually does move up to 147, I mean, he and Crawford have had some back and forth already. That's a pretty good fight. Good stuff. You know, 140 title holder, former undisputed at 140. Like, you can you can sell that fight, you know, especially down in the South maybe or, or even back in Omaha where Crawford uh, does really well. Uh, Lance, always appreciate your time, man. Terrific stuff. Thanks for uh, for joining me. Anytime, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. All right, joining me now on the show, he is the Hall of Fame trainer. You know him from his work with Manny Pacquiao, Miguel Cotto, of course, Mike Tyson. We're going to get a little bit into that now that Mike Tyson's back in the news. He is the great Freddie Roach. What's up, Freddie? Not too much. How about yourself? I'm good, man. How are, uh, I mean, you're one of those guys, Freddie, as long as I've known you, you have worked every day almost tirelessly in the gym, sundown to sunset. What's it been like the last you know, three months to, to do something completely different? Uh, it's not the most fun in the world. I mean, I, I, I'd rather be in the gym, um, you know, being at home with my dog and taking him for walks three or four times a day <laughs> to get some exercise in there. And um, it just, uh, um, I'm waiting for someone to give the green light to open uh, sports back up in the world. And uh, something I think we need very, very, very much. I think we need that to... For America, all you know, sports around the world. You, of course, Freddie, as I mentioned, you have some notable fighters on your roster. You also train like a lot of young guys up and coming the ranks. I mean, how often are you hearing from your guys wondering when can we get back? I mean, what's what's it going to look like? How do we? How does this all work? Yeah, about daily. You know, they'll call here and there, and you know, is the gym open yet? Uh, you know, when, when we get started, when's my next fight? Um, you know, this guy called me, that guy called me, but um, nothing really set yet. Nothing in, in ink. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the case for a lot of people. It is good to see 
you know, top rank is starting to get some shows off the ground. I think PBC is going to get some shows off the ground this summer. DAZN might get some shows off the ground as well. So hopefully we'll be back uh, sooner rather than later. It, it was interesting, Freddie, as you know, one of the storylines of this week was Floyd Mayweather working with Devin Haney. And it, it, it got people talking about how sometimes great fighters, a lot of times great fighters don't make great trainers. You were a very good fighter who turned into a great trainer. I mean, why do you think that is? Why do you think a guy, why, why do you think it's so hard for great fighters to make that transition? Whereas guys like yourself, even Buddy McGirt, um, you know, they have successfully made that transition. Yeah, you know the thing is, I mean, the, the, a lot of the, a lot of those great fighters, things come very natural to them, and they come to them with ease. I mean, you show them something, and they get they they catch it right away, you know. And then some some guys, you better stop and and teach them and work with them, and you know, go over the, the entire move, and you know, and that's where where, where I'm at. I mean, I was, like one day I was talking. To the great weightlifter there, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Arnold says, "Freddie, you're, you're lucky you weren't that good a fighter." I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well, you weren't a great fighter. You were you were a tough guy and all that. But if you were if you were a great fighter, you wouldn't be a great trainer." I said, "Why do you say that?" He says, "Because I'm the worst trainer in the world." He says, "I can't train anyone to lift five pounds." <laughs> he says, "He just doesn't understand why they can't do." It this way at this much weight because just it, because it came natural and very natural to him and I thank them for the compliment. <laughs> In the, but uh, you know, but the thing is, like guys like Mayweather and stuff like this. I mean, they you know things come easy to, to them. He's a very good boxer and they, they, you know he, he does everything very naturally. And I like, I really think there was some people that were born to fight. Like, you know, like James Tony. he says, you, you guys have to train. He says, I was born very natural too. And, and they don't make good trainers because they, they expect you to be as good as them. Mm. What was, I mean, you, tr- you certainly had an apprenticeship early in your career where you learned a lot uh, to be a trainer, what were some of the most important lessons that you didn't know going into training that you learned uh, as an apprentice? You know, get my point across and so forth. Because working with Eddie Fudge was, was a great thing. Um, I mean, you know, he's my trainer for ten years, and then I worked for Eddie for five years as you know his assistant trainer, and uh, I learned how to catch the mitts, and I learned the best way, and you know. Virgil Hill told me, he says, I learned how to fight catch mitts over in Cuba, and they have the best style I think there is. And we went over and we started working together, and then he became a world champ, my first world champion. And uh, you know, things started going very well, and it was, a lot, it was a lot of fun and working with these guys. And then, you know, all of a sudden, this guy, Manny Pacquiao, walks in my door and says, Can I work the mitts with you? You know, and uh, no, he came right now, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, we didn't even know his name at that time. I, 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 I'm not sure anyone did at that time, but, uh, you know, we, we, we started working and uh, we hit it off very well and we, we, we got together and we understood each other very well. And he, he became one of those guys who could really, really learn and absorb a lot of knowledge. You, you've talked about this a million times, Freddie. It's you know one of the all-time great trainer-fighter relationships. But do you ever do you still look back and think about like I mean just how the, the circumstances like Manny Pacquiao walks into your gym and you click and 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 just what that's meant for his career and for yours, of course. Yeah, it was it was just it was everything for for, for my career, and uh, and hopefully it was maybe a lot for him also. I mean, because he had two losses going in. You know, coming coming to America, he had already been lost two titles along the way and so forth. And uh, he wanted to show me some tape of his fights and so forth. And so I said, yeah, sure. And so he said, so the first two tapes he shows me is, is when he got knocked out. And I said, why are you showing me these tapes? He said, I want, to, I want you to know everything. I want you to know everything about me. I don't, I, I don't want to hide anything. I got by a body shot one time and I got by a head shot one time and he says now we gotta make this so we th- this doesn't happen again I said oh, that's exactly what we're 
we, we were going to start right, right, right now on that. And we started working fundamentals. And, you know, he had a good, a very good uh, right hand, but his left hand wasn't as, as educated and so forth. So we started educating both hands. We started doing drills of over and over and over. I mean, it's just usage. I mean, if you use the right more than the left, the right's going to be more, more, more knowledge. But if you, if you even, even them out, they'll both have knowledge. I mean, it's like, it's like being in the NBA with, with, with playing, playing with one hand. You know, you can't do that. I mean, in like a pro fighter or a championship fighter, he needs two hands and needs it to work them both very well. You know, Sean Porter, of all people, said recently that, you know, if he had to choose between careers, would he take Floyd's or Manny's? And Sean said he'd take Manny Pacquiao's career, you know, just because of the type of fights that he was in and you know, the wars he was in. And, and of course, you know, as a boxer, you want to take as little punishment as possible. I get that. But I kind of agree with him, Freddie. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. Like Pacquiao, you look at, you know, the, whether it's Morales or, you know, just go down the list of his just incredible fights. Like he, the, the memories he made were, were pretty impressive. They were impressive. And the memories are, to me are right around the corner. And uh, I, you know, just Pacquiao uh, knocking people. I mean, he his guy that in the gym never tried to hurt anybody, never tried to knock anyone out in the gym. But all of a sudden, bang, a shot landed, and it, it, someone got knocked out. And you know, he like he wouldn't do it on purpose. It was just natural, and he had that natural speed. And I mean, and you didn't see that punch coming. And if it hit you, you'd be on your ass. And uh, he, but. <laughs> I mean, and then he carried over into the into the fights. And then I remember the first time he knocked somebody out with with, with his right hand. Uh, we worked on that for like three months, over and over and over and over again, over again. And it's getting better and better every day, every day. And then all of a sudden we, we go to Chicago, and, and he knocks out one of the local fighters there. And uh, then Manny Pacquiao becomes a two-fisted fighter, and now he's really dangerous. Really dangerous. That's right. You. You were asked a lot over the years about, you know, what would have happened if Floyd fought Manny in like 2009, 2010, when they were both kind of at their, at one of their peaks. I'm wondering, I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but, you know, Floyd, I thought was always at his best at 130. He was really good at 130. Like when he beat Diego Corrales, that was impressive. Uh, Pacquiao came up the ranks at 130. How do you think a matchup between Floyd and Manny at 130 would have gone? Uh, you know, I love that fight, and of course, I love Manny in that fight. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. But Mayweather, you know, he's, he's, he was a very smooth fighter. Uh, not as big a puncher as Manny, I, I don't believe, but, you know, Manny had that, that, that punch, and he had that speed. And speed, speed is one of the best assets in the world, in my opinion. Well, you know, if, if you can pick anything in the world to, to have, I would I would pick speed because nothing takes that place. Not, nothing mm-hmm. takes over the speed that Manny Pacquiao had, and he works it so well. And then you know, I mean, these guys getting hit with shots that they're not seeing from from their weak side, and bang, fight's over. And uh, you know, Mayweather's a good fighter, yes, and uh, I hope he becomes a good trainer. I really do. It's a very difficult thing to do, and uh, you know, I had discussions with a lot of people about it this is, uh, after I, I was told that I, I'm, I'm good because I wasn't that good a fighter, and then <laughs> swallowing that like shit. <laughs> is that really why? <laughs> but but you know, as time goes on, you realize that. This is true because people that are great are just really, really there for a reason. And the thing is, uh, you know, we don't have to teach those great guys a lot. And they, they, they know a lot. And again, they, you know, they, they, everything comes really, really natural to them. And yeah, a, lot, a, lot of the, a lot of the greats have tried, whether it's Floyd yeah. or uh, you know, Roy Jones has tried back and forth every so often with. Yeah, you know Sugar Ray Leonard. He was yeah. a great fighter. I, you know, because I think Sugar Ray is one of the best fighters of all time. I mean, uh, people say you mean uh, Robinson. I said no, no, Sugar Ray Leonard. He's a good fighter. <laughs> 
Because mm. he beat a lot of guys along the way in uh, a lot of weight divisions also. He was in the Olympics. Coleman, he was, just, he was a, a great fighter. And um, I feel that as he tried the training end of it, it just didn't work out that well for him. I mean, you know, he's it was okay, but just but it wasn't great. Yeah, it's got to be frustrating if you know you can you know how to do it yourself, but you know you can't. The guy yeah. that's doing it isn't responding yes. in the same way. That's, it, that's and, you know, and that's one thing that working with Eddie Fudge was really good because Eddie was one of those guys that could teach me along the way and teach me exactly what we, I need to do and so forth. And, you know, being around Eddie was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. Just, yeah. He, he, you know, he was my trainer for a long time and so forth. But, like, he stopped being my trainer when he started getting some bigger fighters and some heavyweights and so forth. And it was real difficult to get his attention and so forth. So his assistants weren't nearly as good as him. But uh, then when I came back as an assistant of his – it really worked out well because I got I got everything. Now it's clicking in my head. Uh, when I was a fighter, it didn't. It, 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 my body didn't absorb it that 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 good. But as a trainer, I I absorbed it much better, and uh, he taught me a lot of good lessons, and uh, I still use a lot of them today. Mm-hmm. So, t- 2019, Freddie was like a really impressive year for Pacquiao, being 40 years old and to. You know, put together wins over Adrian Broner and then Keith Thurman to reclaim a piece of the the, the title, a uh, real piece of the title. I mean, you were a part of that. Like, how much of that I'm wondering surprised you that that Pacquiao at this stage was able to do what he did against Broner and then Thurman. You know, even though coming off like a hand injury from you know six or eight months ago, was still you know widely viewed as one of the top two guys in the welterweight division. Did did it surprise you that he was able to do this? Uh, um, no. Um, work ethic is unbelievable. I mean, he still has that work ethic that he came with when, when he came to America the first day. His work ethic was unbelievable, and he just worked, 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 worked. And the thing is, it's still the same now. And last week, I, I ta- talked to them, and I talked to them about, you know, I say, you know, so and so is calling you out, and I said that might be a good fight. This might be a good fight, and uh, he says, "Ready, just put put someone in front of me uh, and tell 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 me how to fight him, and we'll, we'll we'll get the job done." So he still he still has great work ethic. I mean, there's nobody that works in the gym like many but you know he averages about four and a half hours a day in the gym alone that's not counting road work or running in the morning or exercise at night Man, this sunday take it out take sunday off you've had a good week go to church hey you know just take take it easy um i can't do that i said why he says well my opponent might, might not take sunday off <laughs> that's a good, that's a very good point can't argue with that <laughs> You can't argue with that, no. That's, that's incredible. I mean, when, when you talk to him, though, Freddie, is like, what does he want out of the rest of his career? Is it just fight till the wheels come off? I mean, are there specific accomplishments that he still feels he can make? Is it just make as much money as possible? What, when, what's your read on what he wants? I think he wants to be the, the, the first president world champion in, his, in that country. You know, I really do. He wants to make his country better. He wants to improve everything and make it the best he can. And, um, you know, he's he a kid with a fourth grade education and, you know, wants to be president and wants to do a good job. And I think he can do a good job. I really do. But um, sometimes I wonder, you know, with his education, can, can, he, can he run the country? I mean, I don't think I could run a country. So I can't either. <laughs> yeah, but Manny, uh, he really will, you know, dig down and uh, he works hard and he'll he'll do the best he can for for everybody out there. And uh, I think he's good for the country and I think he'd be a great president. Mm-hmm. I vote so, for him for sure. So, so you want to? So is it your belief that he just wants to keep going and maintain his title until a possible presidential election? Is that so? The boxing career and the political career kind of intertwined. Yeah, they'll, I think they, they'll they'll come together for a moment, and then uh, he'll go one way, and uh, you know, and be be a good president. I feel, and uh, I think that's why he's still going going into fights and so forth, 
for the Notre Dame, you know, so you know people still know who he is and so forth. And uh, this is what he always knew what what he did best. This this is what he does best, and that's that's fight. He's the best boxer. But the thing is, being a president, I mean, being being popular and uh, you know, getting votes is very important. And uh, I think that's part of the the plan. But like, if I tell him, if I, if I do ask him right out, flat out, man, you want to be president? He'll smile at me and he'll walk away. <laughs> he won't. <laughs> he won't give me nothing on it. Is there? I mean, you're part of the the team there. I mean, he's probably going to get one fight in 2020. I mean, hopefully. Uh, if it comes together. I mean, wh- what do you advise on that? I mean, you're right. Everybody's calling him out. I mean, he has an opportunity to fight whoever he wants. He still represents a lot of money in boxing. I mean, what makes the most sense to you? Uh, this, yeah, there's always good fights out there. And the thing is, uh, you know, one thing about Manny, he doesn't want to just beat anybody. He wants to beat the best out there. He wants to fight the top guys. I mean, you know, like Mike Garcia called him out a couple of times. I think that's a good fight for him, of course. And, uh, you know, Robert called him out on, on, on one of your shows. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it made me smile because I, I, I like that fight for Manny. I think it's a great fight. But the thing is, um, you know, Manny might, might, might want to go a little bit maybe higher and fight, you know, Triple G, or, um, you know, one of those guys who's supposed to be the best guy in the world today. Because Pacquiao still desires to be the best there is. You w- would you put him at 160? No. I would not. <laughs> I was going to say. I would not advise him to go 160, no. <laughs> now we're getting a little, a little crazy. Uh, but the thing is, but Manny, you know, put, putting him at 47 was a risk at one, at one time when everyone told me. You know, why, why are you moving him up to 47? And I said, well, he's very natural at that way. He makes a wave really good. And, you know, he can make 40 pretty pretty easy. He can actually make 35 if he, if he, if he digs down and, and so forth. But that's a little, a little bit more effort and so forth. But, like, you know, to fight the biggest guys at 147 and where the money was, it, it's just uh, it, made, it made good sense to all of us to, you know, fight – you know the great Oscar. So mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was a, little, it was a great deal, and, and it worked out very well. It worked out really good for us. I like the Mikey Garcia fight too, because it feels like it's almost like a Marquez type of fight with the way that Mikey fights, sort of a counter punching. And God knows those four fights were some of the best fights of this century uh, between those two men. Yeah, they're very good fights, and uh, I, that's why I, I, I smile every, every time Robert mentions. His his brother Mikey and because um, uh, I I'm all for that I'm all for that fight uh, I like that fight also and, and uh, but um, again with uh, since we're in jail right now when we get out of jail that can happen mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's what I call this mostly because <laughs> that's kind of what I feel like you know I feel like I'm very secluded I can't go nowhere I can't talk I I don't need, I don't, I am not a good phone person. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, it's just, it's, um, it's not my favorite time of my life. Well, it's certainly, it's certainly going to be memorable when we look back on it years from now, but what, uh, oh, this is like, this is like, we will, we will never forget this. I mean, this is something that, I mean, we're going to tell stories about this for the rest of our lives. I mean, this, this is a really strange, uh, maybe a great moment in our life, maybe, uh, Better society, better better people, um, but like keeping away from those six feet rules, I'm not so sure. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, every day, and who knows when that's going to ultimately change. Um, before I let you go, Freddie, the uh, Mike Tyson's back in the news, and yeah. Tyson is talking about you know he's clearly in shape, you know, much better shape than he's been in years, and he's talking about doing exhibition fights. What was your reaction to kind of hearing about Tyson coming back as you were uh, a trainer for him for a period of time? Yeah, and, and Mike's a great guy, and uh, I did train him for a couple of fights before before the end before the end of his career. And uh, his um, his heart really wasn't in it, in it at that time. And like uh, um, he, you know, if he if he didn't knock you out within a couple of rounds, he you know, get a tore meniscus in his knee or an injury somewhere here or there, and. Um, uh, get, get out of the fight, and then. Um, but the thing is, Mike is a great puncher, and, and he, he he trains very hard. And uh, he was, he, yeah, 
being with Mike for two fights, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Catching him on the mitts was very um, difficult and very, very mm, a, a lot of fun. I mean, when, but getting whacked by Mike Tyson with the right hook isn't my favorite spot, but um, I, it happened and uh, and I and I lived through it. So <laughs> it was, your, your story, like you've got, I mean, you tell so many good stories, Freddie. That like, but one of my favorites is. You stealing Tyson's plane is one of my oh. all-time favorite stories. You know, it, it, it was the plane was there, and everyone says, "Who's in charge?" And this was going to, just to set it up. This was going to Memphis, right, to fight Etienne. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And they said, "Freddie, Freddie, you're in charge." And I says, "Well, I says, uh, is there another plane for Mike?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, there's another plane for Mike." I says, "Well, if we don't take this one, we still get charged for it." Yeah. Mm, we still didn't get charged, so. Mike, there's another one for Mike, so let, let's 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 get there and get 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 settled and let Mike take the next plane. And then uh, he told me, he says, yeah, he says the plane that you left me, it didn't even have food on it. We had we had ordered Chinese takeout for my daughter. Uh, he says, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed in his room for for four days before the fight, and then. Uh, uh, one night about two in the morning he called me up and said it's Freddie he said come on down let's warm up a little bit and we did some mitts and we warmed up and uh, the fight was uh, the next day and uh, it was a great fight for him and uh, everything worked out well we were friends again do you think I mean let me ask you this finally do you like I always wonder what would Tyson have been if he didn't go to jail like do you think he would have won the fights against Foreman and Lewis and the guys that were fighting and even Holyfield early or would he have continued to get exposed the way Douglas exposed him and even Razor Ruddock like kind of stood there in front of him and was not really scared of him after that yeah I I, I think Tyson would have been if he didn't go to jail he might have been maybe the, one of the greatest of all time really I, I do I do think that yes um well, I've no, I've I've only I've, I was in jail once for a day, and uh, I, I didn't I didn't enjoy that one day. <laughs> so I'm glad I. Uh, but to spend three years in jail, I think that might take a lot of uh, out of any, anybody in the world. Yeah. Just it would just like no, <laughs> I'm just joking. No, I I get it, I get it. Uh, Freddie, always good to talk to you, man. I uh, hope you get back in that gym real soon. Hope we see you and Pacquiao and all your other guys uh, back in the ring sooner rather than later, man. Yeah, um, if you get any juice, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate it, Freddie. Thank you. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Explore a wide selection of luxury spirits, wine, and champagne at reservebar.com. Elevate your gifting this year with rare and exceptional bourbons, tequilas, scotch, wine, champagne, with personalized engraving, exceptional glassware, and more. From wines to whiskeys, there's a bottle for everyone. For a limited time, Save $20 on your order of $150 plus with the code IHEART at ReserveBar.com.